Hey, welcome to Freeway Church Online. We're glad that you are with us today. Check out this message. It is from our Sunday service. A year ago, this weekend, a lot of you helped me move into my house. Uh, because it's been a year since we've lived in Albion. And it's crazy to think because I never thought being at um, North Central in Minneapolis or growing up on the other side of Michigan that I'd ever live in Albion. Like, if, I, if you said to me, Roy, uh, this is God's plan for your life. You're going to live in Albion, Michigan. I'd be like, where? You know, like, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about that. All I know, you know, I, so it's interesting to think about because a lot of times in our life, if God were to present you some final arrival place or some big decision, you would think to yourself, what? No, that would, I would never get there. Like, what am I doing here? But because the leadership that God has in your life is pretty interesting. How does God guide you? How does God use you? How do, how do you end up where you are? Like, where are you going to be? Like, how do you figure all that out? And how do you trust God in the midst of it all? We're talking about that today, and I'm excited. My name's Roy. I'm the pastor here at Freeway, and I'm glad you're here with us, whether you're online or in person. Today's going to be a great day. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, and, and I appreciate the youth, as we talked about a little bit. I also appreciate the Michigan Wolverines for beating Ohio State yesterday. I am a state fan, Michigan State fan, but in these moments, we galvanize as a, as a state, don't we? Yes. Uh, if, 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 sorry for those of you who are, are Ohio State um, fans. It's just one of you. It's fine. Uh, we love you. We love you. Um, this week was obviously Thanksgiving week, and um, I'm pretty sure we should stop looking at the scale for the next month. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, I ate all the pie. I did. I, I was successful. Um, someone has to eat the pie, babe. Anyway, um, we, it's, it was a good week, and I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. So uh, for me to you, happy Thanksgiving. I'm glad you guys are here today. So last time we spoke, we talked about trusting Jesus. And kind of we answered this question, why do I feel like following Jesus doesn't work for me? Why do I feel like following Jesus doesn't work for me? And we talked about how sometimes trusting God just doesn't make sense. But small steps of obedience lead you to places you never dreamed of going. It's this idea that when we trust and obey God, it's kind of like this adventure or this journey that you don't know the end from the beginning a lot of times. But God meets you where you're at, and he helps you get from place to place. It was a great message, and today we're kind of continuing on it because I think we have a question in the midst of all of that, which is, how do I make the right choices in life? Like the big choices, how do I make those choices? I, I'm not really talking about, should I go play basketball with my friends this afternoon? Uh, you can make, it doesn't matter, right? But how do you make those big choices in our life? How do I trust God with my future? Those are questions that we all wanna answer, right? Like you remember positions of your life, where do I go to college? What degree do I uh, have? Like, what major do I pick? Well, who do I marry? I remember Alyssa and I, we were dating about a year, and we were dating with the intention of being married. It wasn't dating just to date. We wanted to get married, and, but I didn't know if this was God's will for my life. And so you're getting to this position where you want to marry someone, but is she the one? How do you figure it out? Big life questions. And I think we get to the point where those life questions, they need an answer. You know what I'm saying? We need an answer. We think to ourselves, man, where do I retire? 
or what job do I take, or should I quit, or should I move, right? All of these big questions. And we want God to write the answer on the wall. I've had plenty of moments in my life where I was just like, God, would you just tell me what to do? Just tell me what to do. Would you write it on the wall? Would you show up? Would you actually, you know what? I'm going to flip open my Bible real slow, and you say, stop. And when I've stopped, that's the answer, right? Like, have you ever had these moments where you're just desperate for an answer from God? What should I do with these big decisions? You see, we need an answer sometimes, but when we get into these moments, man, it can really mess our relationship with God up. You see, if we always are looking to God for an answer to something that we need, our God becomes some sort of wizard, or some sort of um, eternal Google page, right? Like we're just asking God for stuff and God, we're hoping God gives it back to us and our relationship with God turns into this very transactional situation. And we even get to the point where we say to God, hey, no, 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 I did all of these good things. You should show up. No, God, I haven't looked at pornography this week. God, you should tell me what to do. God, no, I've been good. You should, right? We get to the position where our relationship with God is very transactional. I've done this. You ought to do that. Unfortunately, it's a way that we control God in the way, and it's a wrong way of viewing God because we just ask God for things and hope that he gives them to us. And our relationship with God moves from being a person-to-person relationship to being a, some sort of vending machine, eternal uh, Google page or something like that. And so if we don't figure this out, friends, hear me, if we don't figure this out, our relationship with God will continually be one of transactional relationship instead of one where you're having a personal relationship with God. It's a dangerous slope for evangelical Christians or Christians. It's a dangerous slope because we'll find ourselves in a position where we don't know God anymore. We just know a really big vending machine. So Let's read together this verse from the Bible, and uh, it's a good verse, and follow with me because it's from Jeremiah, which is the largest book in the Bible, and it says this, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10 says, this is what the Lord says, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word and thank you so much for this moment we have together. Lord, I ask as we read and and talk about you, God, that you would speak to each, each one of us that each one of us, we would kind of dissolve the fog of this world and kind of get clear with our relationship with you that you would help us move forward. Would you meet us today? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So here we have this amazing chapter of the Bible. And we've talked about some of these things before, so uh, please bear with me as we talk about them again. But it says this in 17, seven through eight, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord 
and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried about long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Can I say that sometimes when we read scripture, it shows us what the goal is. You see, with our own life, if you were to analyze what the goal of your life is, you may find that in our culture, we need to set a plan and then uh, reach that plan, right? We set a goal and accomplish it. We want to uh, make X amount of dollars. I'm going to work this hard. I want to get this job. I'm going to study this way. And the goal of our life sometimes ends up being to reach those goals. It's kind of like, what's the plan? Let's reach it. But the definition of success in the Bible is not us reaching our plans. The definition of success in the Bible is not us reaching our goals. And I know it's hard to believe sometimes because this is how we were raised. And, and hear me, goals and plans are wonderful. But the success in the Bible is right here in this verse. We've talked about this before in Psalm chapter 1. And this is the second time Jeremiah, the author, the prophet, writes about this. He probably has Psalm chapter 1 in front of him in one of the scrolls. Because he's, he's kind of reiterating what Psalm 1 has to say. The Bible defines success as a person with deep roots that go down to the life of God. And that life bears, makes them bear fruit in season over season. In a drought season, in a wet season, you bear fruit. You're not bothered or anxious by the heat worried about long months of drought, your leaves stay green. This is the definition of success in the Bible. And a lot of times we kind of pass over it because character development is hard, right? And growing those roots, they take time. We live in a very much microwave world. If it doesn't take less than three minutes, I don't know, I'm not gonna eat. I'm just gonna keep going, right? If, ever, if any of you, like, let me tell you, uh, the ma let me tell you the uh, best leftover recipe, okay? This is what you do. You take a bowl, and you put in the mashed potatoes from Thanksgiving, and you put in the turkey, and then you put in the stuffing, and then you put in the gravy, and you just mix it all together and pff, microwave, okay? After, like, four minutes, it's very hot, so don't touch it. And then there you go. Now you can gain weight just like me. Uh, a great way. But we live in this microwave world. We live in a world where everything we want it right away. We have social media, right? We, we can find out information fast. But the problem is if we want to grow these roots down to this riverbank, this, these roots that give us life, man, that takes time. That takes time. That takes time to slow down to be with Jesus. That takes time to develop character in our life, to think and to meditate on scripture. These types of things that are countercultural today are the actual things that give us life and life more abundant. Uh, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to bring you life and life more abundant. Jesus says these things. And if we really are to understand how we ought to live our life, then we find ourselves in, the, in this stance like, okay, how are my roots? How are my roots? And I think that's one of the questions I want to ask today. How are your roots? You know, are they sucking in the life of God or are they like looking everywhere else for that life? Are they looking to places that you never ought to look and looking for success and all of these things that never give you real 
fulfillment in your life. But if we have to redefine success, we find that we, are, ought, we ought to be like these trees. Jesus echoes it in his verse that talks about how we are, he is the vine and we are the branches. We need to be grafted into this vine and then Jesus prunes us. But abiding in Jesus is where we find life. It's throughout the whole scripture, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, that finding this life and life more abundant comes from this slow root growth. You know, I'm a new pastor, right? I've been here for a year, but there's been lots of conversations in the pastoring world about church growth because pastors want to be successful, right? And so some people will say, uh, in order to grow your church, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Or other people will say, like, you need to set these, like, barrier growth and, like, break through those barriers, right? So they, they'll say, well, is your church a church of 400? You need to break the 500 mark barrier growth. All of these things. There's a whole conversation. Talks all about it. Uh, people, leadership people talk about it. But the reality is that if you are to really grow a church, you're not counting the butts and the seats. That's not the goal. In fact, if the goal was to just get more people in this room, we could do that. We could just get enough money and enough advertising and we could grow with butts in the seats. But that's not the goal, is it? A church, a pastor has to redefine success as not getting people in the seats, but becoming healthy and growing a family of trees, a family of God that we'd be able to raise up together that each one of us would produce fruit and the life that we live would be better and the people around us would live a better life because of you. That's what we do. We grow healthily. We grow deep. We don't just try to get more people in the room. You see, a pastor has to redefine success for their church. And I think a lot of times we need to redefine success in our own life. Man, as you look to the new year and try to figure out what the new you might be like, are you gonna think like, man, I'm just, I'm going to accomplish these things. Or you go to think, you know what I want to do? I want to grow these roots. I want to be connected with God. I want to have life and life more abundant. That would be my hope and prayer that we redefine success. Because if we really want to trust Jesus, huh? We should probably trust his definition of success, not our own. Because if we look to scripture, where is success found? How do we trust Jesus? What about our decisions? Man, we got to figure out what the goal is. The goal is life. So the second thing I want to say is that trusting our heart, we got to watch out for that. It says this in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's terribly uh, sad, right? Like it's, it's discouraging. It's not optimistic. It's in this point like, hey, all humans are broken and our hearts are wrong. Man, how encouraging is that? In fact, uh, this is countercultural. The world today will come to you like Ellen or someone. She'll say, hey, you're not broken. Hey, you're just fine the way you are. Hey, you're doing great. And I get what Ellen is doing in those moments. And I get what our culture is saying. They're saying, hey, I want to encourage you. Stop thinking so negatively about yourself. You can rise up. That's what they're saying. But the truth of the matter is, if left to our own devices, our hearts are deceitful above all else. Our hearts lead us to things that uh, we, we don't want in the big picture. They lead us to things we want in the now. In fact, I think that if you were to kind of remove God's omnipresent like influence on humanity, we would fall pretty quickly into terrible chaos. 
There's this moment in scripture, it talks about, it says the days of Noah. It's back there in Genesis. And it talks about how people were just crazy. Like they were just, full, they were evil, they were wrong. And that's in the evilness of those times led God to have the flood, the ark, the rainbow, the whole thing. Man, if we understood this, it would change our perspective on who we actually trust. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. When you see the word desperately wicked, do you think of a witch? That's what I think. I think of that witch in Snow White who makes that apple and it's like, I have this apple, right? And there's like all this echoes back to the Bible, but that's okay. There's this poisonous apple and we think about like the badness, the depravity, the evil, the satanic, like that's what we think of. But listen, the word here in Hebrew, the original word is not wicked. It's not, it's not desperately wicked. It actually means to be weak, to be sick, to be frail, to be incurable. This idea that the human heart is not desperately depraved, but desperately sick. And you and I know all about sickness, don't we? We just went through the pandemic. We know what COVID feels like, right? And for those of you who had COVID, I think well, like we all did it probably, I don't know. Um, you don't taste, no, yes. Uh, you don't taste, right? You lose your sense of taste. You lose other things as well. I mean, when I first had COVID, I just was in my bed. I don't know what happened. I watched Survivor on Hulu. That's just all I did for like three days. Um, but you remember what being sick feels like. And there's a sense of when you're sick, like that isn't just like um, an attribute that you're choosing. You don't choose to be sick. As much as a man, I'll tell Alyssa, I'm not sick, I'm fine. Like, it's fine. I'm fine, like go for like three days of, of sneezing and then just saying, I'm not sick, right? You could decide to not be sick, but you actually are. And I think if we were to look at the human heart, we'd find for a minute that it is not that we would just choose evil all the time, but that our heart has a plague in it. Our heart has a pandemic in the midst of all of, it, of all of us. And we see that there is a sickness that drives us. Left to your own devices in a vacuum, you may even find yourself doing things you never thought you could do because our hearts are desperately sick. And it's from this position that Jesus enters the world. If humanity at the Garden of Eden, you remember the story, the Garden of Eden, they have the apple or the fruit and God banishes them from the Garden of Eden and says, now you have to live with this knowledge of good and evil. Now you have to live with this sin in your life. Man, that sin is a lot more like a sickness than an evil. And you and I have to deal with that sickness, each one of us. But Jesus enters the scene and says, hey, I'll take that sickness. Hey, I'll help you with that. Hey, I'll heal you of your brokenness in your heart. And he actually provides a way for you to live a life far beyond yourself, far beyond your own heart plans for your life. You see, if we trust our heart, it's only gonna lead us to the places that it wants to go, which is deceitful and sick. But if we trust Jesus, we begin to move past our own limitations and past our own dreams for our own life. I mean, some of you are wise enough in your life to know that your own dreams, they never work out anyway. <laughs> like, like your dreams are wonderful or whatever, but really what I want is God-given dreams. I wanna accomplish more than I ever have before. Not for me, but for this world. Our problem is that we trust our gut 
and follow our heart. Follow what people say and not what God says. And we attribute our whole life to this worldly way of thinking, right? You know what it sounds like. A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep, right? We need to follow the Lord and trust his leadership in our lives. We, listen, you can have dreams, you can have plans, but you need to bathe them in prayer. You need to sharpen them through the Bible and reading the word. And you need to galvanize them through authentic Christian community. In fact, your best laid plans and your dreams are, are, are all weak until they get into conflict on, 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 with other people teaching you and helping you through those plans and dreams. It's why God gave us each other. And it, you could almost say you could not follow Jesus without one another. You can follow him, but with one another is how God created us to be. So we have to put one another first. So let me read these four verses from Proverbs. These are like the wisdom Proverbs. This is Proverbs chapter 16. It says this, The Lord made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for a day of disaster. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. There is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. You know, I picked these Proverbs because it kind of shows like the gambit of how God leads us. On one hand, you are a fully uh, autonomous person. You have free will. You can do whatever you want. And God, in fact, asks you to do the right things in order to make a difference on this earth. But on the other hand, God's plans for your life are a real thing. And you can't throw out the other side of it that uh, God is actually leading you and he has a plan and you may fail God's plan, but there's another plan. Like there's, and then guess what? There's another plan after that. And God is leading you and guiding you in that. So there's a duality here. There's a, uh, you, you know, there's, there's, there's two things happening. One thing, you have to do the work to lead your life. But the second thing is God is going to lead you to great things and he helps you get there. You think, you see, a lot of us are praying for God to give us direction and wisdom. What should I do with my life? But God shows us his direction as we go. It's something God does, not gives. I like what Timothy Keller says. He says, God's guidance is more something God does than something God gives. You see, we seek God for the guidance. Give us this gift of guidance. But what if God is doing guidance in our life? So if God is doing guidance, and if we want to figure out what this looks like, and if we can't trust our own heart, what do we do? Well, we trust and we do our actions. We build actions in our life. We do stuff. We accomplish things. We don't just plan, but we look at our actions. Look at this, Proverbs 16. This is the same chapter, but this is the first three verses. We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives, us, gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Man, do you see what that says? Let me read it again. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. You see, a lot of us have read this verse, and a lot of times we think to ourselves that the Bible is saying, commit your plans to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. But that is not what it's saying, is it? It says, commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. But hey, as an American, we're always like, well, 
God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's the plan? Here's my plan. Okay, God, I'm giving you this plan. Will you do this amazing thing in our life? And I, th I know God is gracious and he is gentle and he is kind. And, but he's always thinking like, why are you always giving me these plans, bro? Like, why do you, what, just, just do what you're supposed to do today. You know what I'm saying? Like today, like let's focus on right now. Because a lot of times we get so, so caught up in the American dream that we forget that the thing that God is asking us to do is now. It's our actions, not our plans. And so I would like, Alyssa, if you would kind of come up as we end here, because I think that we find ourselves in this position that we don't actually look at our actions anymore. We only look at our plans. In fact, it's become so pervasive in our society and in our life that uh, we don't even care what we do. We just care that the plan is being accomplished or we have a plan. You know, it's terribly sad in our world today when someone asks you, hey, you're going to retire soon, what's your plan? And you think to yourself, oh, I don't know. Maybe you feel like you're less than in that moment because you don't have some miraculous or some magnificent plan. Or maybe in your high school and someone comes to you and say, what are you going to do after uh, school? And you say to yourself, well, I don't know. And that plan is missing. And you think to yourself, man, I'm just not enough because I don't have that plan or you're stuck at a dead-end job, or all of these different things that were in our life. But man, it's not the plans that our eyes should be focused on. It's our actions. Back in the beginning of this, like we talk about how the success of our life is not in accomplishing these plans that God gives to us. The success of our life is found in growing roots. What's your job? To grow roots. What are you gonna do with your life? I'm gonna love Jesus. I'm gonna meditate on scripture. I'm gonna just, I, you know what? Before I go out tonight, I'm gonna spend a half hour listening to worship music and reading scripture. Why? Because accomplishing the things around us is wonderful. And God, you know, he leads us and helps us to do things we can never imagine to do. But the thing that matters more is our actions today. So let me bring you back to the foundation to all of this. When you trust God with your actions, you will find success. But success is hardly the goal. You know, we come here on, Sunday, on Sundays, we worship God together, and I find myself often coming back to the, to the basics on a Sunday morning. Are you reading your Bible? Are you putting people in your life that you don't know like other Christians? This year, our theme is called the family room. And the idea is that we have to go out of our way to build relationships with one another that we wouldn't normally build relationships with. Why? Because God set us up with one another. And though that Christian community helps drive our actions and our plans. And then of course, there's some of us that we, trusting God is terribly complicated. We've got a past, we've got things, we've trusted God for those things before man, can we just trust God for today? Can we trust God with our actions today? That he has a plan for our lives and we're not going to get all crazy about it, but we're going to trust God with our actions about how we treat him and how we treat others. And so if you would stand with me, we're going to end here today. Praise God. We end this way every Sunday here at Freeway Church. What we do is we take a moment to kind of, um, kind of pause, pause in our life to 
to reflect on what we've been talking about and what God has been speaking to you about in your life. And so that's what we're gonna do. Alyssa's gonna play this song. And I wanna encourage you during this song to seek God, to talk to him about maybe something that he's been nudging your heart on this morning. Maybe something that you're having trouble trusting him with, or maybe some plans and dreams that you've held on so tightly that you've lost track of what you're doing with your life. And then we're gonna just pray together. And then after the song, we'll be done and we can have um, Christmas decorating time. But can I just encourage you, we don't trust our own heart. We trust Jesus. And I know that Jesus can help you and heal you and set you free all because he adores you. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He made you. He loves you. He's not, he doesn't just love you. He likes you. He likes you. And the reason he paved the way for you to get to know him was because he likes you. That's a big deal. And so we respond in the trust because of all the things that God has done for us. So let's respond to this message today. And afterwards, I'll come up and we'll close. Hey, we're glad you joined us today on the podcast. We are praying for you. So please let us know what we can do. Uh, we're on your team, always here. So um, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.